to down to down to. Yeah, missed and peeved. Miffed and peeved. That's a way of saying like you're angry or you're mad. Don't be miffed and peeved. Miffed. Don't be miffed and peeved. It's a real word. It's a real word. It's a real word. I don't use it, but it's Not in your vocab? Down to dunk. Yes. This is Stephen Adams. Don't be miffed and peeved. No, you can't be miffed and peeved. Sorry. This is Stephen Adams. You can't be miffed and peeved because you're listening to Down to Dunk. Welcome to Down to Dunk. This is your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're part of CLNS Media, DailyThunder.com, also featured on Dash Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5 o'clock Central Time. And with me today is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, what is up? Good morning, Andrew. <laughs> good morning. Uh, first thing, Andre Robertson <clears throat> had his knee scope yesterday, so it's a press release from the Thunder. Um, that the Oklahoma City Thunder forward Andre Robertson underwent a successful left knee scope earlier today. The scope was performed by Dr. Neil Atrache. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, and the elective procedure was done to proactively relieve. You have to pronounce this for me. Synovitis. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Which will enhance rehab activities and accelerate Robertson's rehab protocol. He remains on pace to return to start the 1819 season. So like this release, I tweeted that it's like the, uh, the most excited and nervous that I felt about his rehab <laughs> since, you know, the injury. Uh, it's, I guess it's nice that it's accelerating his rehab, um, it's just strange that you would have a surgery like that to accelerate your rehab. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? So, oh, so you were excited at the, at the idea that it might be a, a good thing. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Um, I just don't know enough about, uh, sports medicine, but I, you know, I, I assume that it's a good thing. I don't know if like that means the swelling can come back. Right. Um, if it's going to be a lingering issue in this process or if it's just kind of a one-time thing, we just don't know. But they still said that he's on track to start this next season. So I guess I just have to believe that. What else can you do? <laughs> I don't know. It's just funny. Every every time anyone has a surgery, it was always successful. It's like never like, ah, we have, we have an unsuccessful surgery on our hands, guys. We'll have to... <laughs> Even though the Thunder have had some unsuccessful surgeries, ultimately. Um, That's true. But, you know, it's it's certainly news that he uh, had this surgery. Um, I don't think it's ever a good thing when you have knee surgery or your knee scoped. I never think it's a good thing. Um, but if it does allow him to come back faster and it alleviates some pain that he's having, I mean, it was obviously necessary, but... You know, heading into next season, you're excited to have Robertson back, but you're also concerned about his knees and about you know what that means for the for his future as an NBA player and what what it looks like for him going forward. You know, you'd like to think that you get the same guy we had last season before he went down, but you have to be pretty cautious with those expectations. I think. Yeah, and you have to wonder how soon he can get back to that level. I'm yeah. assuming it's it's not going to be a thing. I mean, he at that point, he won't have played basketball for, I don't know, like eight months or something. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm sure it's going to be kind of a slow process. And who, who knows? I mean, it might be next January until he's actually looking like Robertson again. Right. And, and hopefully they use that as a time to, you know, we don't know what the team will look like, but use it as a time to develop chemistry with Abrinas and the starters um, and maybe give him more minutes during that time. <clears throat> Cause I just think that ultimately putting more shooting around Russ, Russ and Paul George, if he's back is the best thing for the team. And so just kind of seeing what you have in him a little bit more might, might be to the team's advantage a little bit. Yeah. I'd like to thank the press for sponsoring today's show. The press is down in the Plaza district in downtown Oklahoma city. It's Southwestern comfort food and it is amazing. Not only is the food great, but the venue itself is just super cool. You've got to go down to the press it's worth it to go for a lunch. If you have a lunch break and you work near downtown, I don't know why you haven't been yet and you need to go stop by. Uh, on Saturday, you got to go for their brunch. Uh, it's just so, so good. And then obviously for dinner, uh, it's just a good spot to go. If you've got a big group of friends and you're looking for a place to celebrate, that's a good place to go. Uh, if you are looking for a date night, it's a great date night place as well. Uh, they have it all when it comes to Southwestern comfort food. I've mentioned it before and I just can't stop saying it because it is just that good. They have this mac and cheese. It's called radiatory mac and cheese and it is delicious. You can get it with chili. You can get it with buffalo chicken. You can get it with barbecue on it. It's very much worth any amount they ask you to pay. It's worth it. It's that good. Uh, you got to try their salads. If you're if somebody like salads, they provide just the freshest ingredients. Uh, they have a great veggie burger. They sell an Indian taco that's really good. Any of their fried chicken is delicious. Um, they also have their chicken fried ribeye, which is something that you've probably seen if you follow them on Instagram. By the way, follow them on Instagram so you can check out their food and you, you will go there soon if you start following them on Instagram. So follow them on Instagram, Twitter, the press OKC. Go check out their website where you can find their menu, thepressokc.com. Support the people that support Down to Dunk and eat at the press. Okay, uh, we got to talk about Brian Colangelo. Uh, yeah. The Ringer put out this piece yesterday um, and it just blew up the internet. It's called The Curious Case of Brian Colangelo and the Secret to Twitter Account. If you haven't read it yet, it's easily the best thing the ringer has put out since becoming the ringer. Um, it's just amazing. So Brian Colangelo created, was it four Twitter accounts? Uh, there um, were five Twitter accounts in total. Oh yeah. There's five, but one wasn't, didn't tweet. And he only, Correct. he owned up to one of them. The one that didn't tweet. Yes. Um, and yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, that, yeah, if you haven't read it, he, Ben Dietrich, who's the writer for The Ringer, who, by the way, among the Sixers fan base is like known as one of the biggest Colangelo haters. Okay, so you have to understand that going in. He received an anonymous tip from an egg, (laughs) an egg on Instagram and Twitter telling him that this person, this anonymous source had noticed that there was these similarities between these five different accounts. They were all following the same people 
that all interlinked with both Philly writers and bloggers, Toronto writers and bloggers, uh, and then University of Chicago people, which that's where Colangelo's son goes and plays basketball there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if he just had these burner accounts, oh, who cares, you know, whatever. But he was tweeting from a lot of them, and some of the things that came out from the tweets were uh, pretty interesting. Some of them just because they were, like, really petty and, like, he shouldn't be saying that. And other ones other ones were, like, explaining parts of, like, insider information that not a lot of people would know. Like, he said that the Markel Fultz shoulder injury wasn't actually an injury and that it was actually because his shooting coach – who was like this guy who was dating his mom and like had this bad influence on Markel. He was purposely trying to change Markel's shot. Yeah. That um, was the biggest is, one for me. It's just yeah. like, I mean, if that, I don't know, that's, that's big information. I just, I can't imagine that they don't consider firing him today because this gets back to the team like how much respect are they going to have for him? Whether it's true or I mean, you read it all and it's very convincing, and there's still a chance that it may not be him. You know, there's it's not a hundred percent confirmed, but it kind of is. If that gets to the team, whether they, whether it's true or not, it's so damaging to the team and to the locker room, and the fact that all this stuff is out there about Fultz about Jill Okafor who's not on the team and Nerlens Noel, like he trashed both those guys repeatedly, but also the stuff he said about Embiid. Um, right. He, excuse me, calls Embiid a baby and says that, you know, he voted for Ben Simmons to be in the all-star game, but would not vote for Embiid. Um, you know, that Embiid's not the leader of the team anymore. And, um, you know, he, you know, made fun of him for dancing at the Meek Mill concert and just, and he's tweeting at all these Philly reporters and trying to egg them on to report stuff, which is just funny. Um, because like how many people are tweeting at guys like Royce every day, just trash tweets about the team and just like trying to egg him on to to do something or to say something to them or to say something to the team or something. I mean, like you just, you ignore it, especially when it comes from somebody that has the name still ballin or Eric (laughs) jr. Like you're just like, okay, all right, Eric jr. Like whatever, like I'm why, why would I take your tweet and then take it to the team? Like I would look like an idiot. Um, it's just funny that he, would think that that kind of influence and he continually backed himself over and over again, talking about how Brian Colangelo is a good guy. And even at one point, I can't remember under which account he said this, they said that he worked with him and that he's a class, a class act. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this gets into a few of the conspiracy theories that have come up around this. One is the timing of the release. Um, mm-hmm. So yesterday, (laughs) the Vegas odds came out and the Sixers were the number one team to sign LeBron this summer. Um, And so, you know, Bill Simmons works for the ringer. Is this his way (laughs) of like getting back at the Sixers (laughs) and destroying the 
you know, going in the future, probably Boston's biggest rival um, dropping it right now. And then there's the fact that yesterday there was a ton of Sixers news. So the Sixers obviously knew this was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the Brett Brown contract extension. Um, there was uh, the story about Ben Simmons is now dating uh, Kylie Jenner. Yeah. Um, like there's a bunch of other things that randomly came out yesterday too. Um, but I want to get into the conspiracy theory about who actually did all this because the biggest part of this story, which if you have not read the story, this is the most important part, which is that Ben Dietrich called the 76ers and he asked them if Colangelo was behind two of the accounts so he only mentioned two of the accounts. He purposely did not mention the other three because mm-hmm. he wanted to see what would happen. Yeah. And so the Sixers admitted to the one, which is the one account that really didn't tweet. That's the Philadelphia one, two, three, four, five, six account. Six, seven. Um, oh, six, seven. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they said that he wasn't the Eric Jr. account. But then within the next hour after Ben Dietrich had called, all the other three accounts went from public to private. Yeah. So that means that whoever, if, if you think there's a chance that Colangelo didn't do it, it had to be someone who knew about that phone call from Ben Dietrich, which means either the, the Sixers rep that he talked to was the one doing it, or the Sixers rep then was able to tell the person who actually was doing it. Yeah. Or Ben Dietrich was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. That's, this, that's the last one. <laughs> yeah. If this is all just Ben Dietrich trying to frame Brian Colangelo. <laughs> <laughs> and then they went from public to private as I changed it on my own computer and I made all of this up. Because it makes sense to go from public to private no matter who it was. If it was Colangelo, like obviously. He at that point he doesn't think that they know about those other three accounts, and so he's going to try to wipe them out. Right. But then also, if you're trying to frame Colangelo and you, for some reason, know about that call from Ben Dietrich, you would probably do the same thing because you know it would also implicate Colangelo. Um, but I, the more I read, the more I just it, it's hard for me to imagine that someone would go to these lengths. Yeah. To frame Colangelo, like it'd be really hard. I mean, they, they would have had to had this idea and been working on this since like November of 2017 and slowly building up these accounts, slowly building up all of these references to all these players for some reason, like having the idea of talking about the Chicago men's basketball team. Right. And then like following all these, like he was following his, uh, a former agent of Colangelo. Like some of these things were pretty specific to Colangelo and who, I mean, you know, the only person that I could implicate myself that would possibly be like this diabolical would be Sam Hinkie. What if it and, is? <laughs> so here's the case for Sam Hinkie. <laughs> uh, Last night, uh, there was a guy on Twitter who tried to log into the accounts. Oh, okay. And when you log into the accounts, obviously you can't get in because you don't know the password. So it says, do you want to reset your password? And it says, we'll send a text to this number. And it, but it only shows you the last two numbers. And the last two numbers were 9-1 okay. for three of the accounts. And so 
that doesn't match up with any of Brian Colangelo's known numbers. Okay. <laughs> However, someone later found that Sam Hinkey has a number that ends in nine one. And then further, someone found that one of the accounts, and I don't know how they did this, but one of the accounts was coming or based in California, which is also where Sam Hinkie is right now. Wow. So I still think that that's insane. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would really be crazy. That would be amazing. I mean, I mean, the... (laughs) Yeah, it, there's just no way. There's just no there, way. There's no way. And if there's no way, then it really has to be Colangelo. Because, again, the lengths that a person would have to go to to create this is just, like, <laughs> it's kind of lame. Yeah. <laughs> if, it was, if it was someone who did this. Well, here's how you know that it's Colangelo. Because Sam Hinkie would not have defended Brian Colangelo's collar. There's just no it, way. Oh, if he did... It's like so next level. This is that's where it's like really disturbing. <laughs> yeah, Pinky went that far. Yeah, because I, I would just if I was a Dartmouth Matt who is Philly underscore a hole, I'd be so excited today that my tweet is on online. Everyone gets to know that I made fun of Brian Colangelo's collar, and then Brian Colangelo defended himself against me making fun of his collar. I would just be so excited. Yeah, I th- I think it's going to have to come out. Either he's going to have to admit to it or he's going to have to say who it was. Because the other possibility here is that somebody who was basically working for Colangelo setting up all these accounts. Now, yeah. there was a theory last night on the Sixers subreddit that one of the accounts was actually Jerry Colangelo. Yeah. His dad. Because the age, like, first of all, the account referenced themselves being an old man a lot. Um, the age on the account matched up with Jerry Colangelo's age. Hmm. Um, some of the individual points, like, you know, the Beijing story about Dwayne, Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union? Yeah. Uh, which turned out to not be, uh, well, at least Union wasn't there. She came out and tweeted about it. But Jerry was the one that was actually in Beijing in 2008. Yeah. Um, It would still make sense that he'd be live tweeting his grandson's Chicago basketball team game. Mm -hmm. Um, It still makes sense that he'd be criticizing Hinky and Masai. And then there, one of the accounts that that um, account followed, this is the Eric Jr. account, was directly related to Jerry Colangelo. Um, It really had no relationship to Brian. So that's that's the that's the other possibility that Colangelo was involved and knew about it, but was purpose, but it was purposely like like an arm's length, like somebody else was doing it for him, basically. Either way, this is amazing. And it's it has to be I feel like it has to be Brian or Jerry. There's just so many typos that would just can only be explained by an old guy having a phone. Right. And and you could tell whoever's doing it is like trying to sound, I don't know, like they're trying to match like internet speak in some of these. Yeah, and it it's not great. He also refers to himself as BC all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he also uh, bleeped the word butt. He did. 
He did bleep mm-hmm. the word, but <laughs> and he also twice on two separate accounts made basically the same reference, which is like I think they were talking about Joel Embiid dancing at the Meek Mill concert, and he was yes. like, "Well, if I was them, I would get up on a ladder and slap him in the head." Right. <laughs> and he, yeah, he referenced the second time he called it a medium-sized ladder. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is so great! I just feel like whether I think that if if the Sixers players believe it was Brian Colangelo, they have to fire him. Like, I just don't right. think that you can you can run an organization from the top down and have your highest paid employees not respect you. I just don't think that that is a thing. Um, and I mean, he went as far as saying he would trade Embiid for uh, Porzingis. Right. Uh, so, yeah, even the Markel Fultz stuff, like he, he defended Markel Fultz in a lot of areas, but then he would also directly tweet at markel fultz (laughs) (laughs) and he uh criticized brett brown for not playing fultz saying that he was like trying to save his butt by not playing him and like raising like lowering the ceiling of the team so that there was like an excuse for them to lose right um which is just crazy like this is just all crazy um so i guess obviously he he has to deny it because if he admitted this, I mean, this is so embarrassing. Oh, this he'll like, he'll never work in basketball again. This is the Kevin Durant burner story, like times a thousand. Yeah. Oh yeah, just because there's so much, out there's so there, much content. <laughs> there's just no way that he can come back from this and like be a GM again. Like, there's just absolutely no chance of that. So I wonder how, I mean, I'm assuming the organization is doing like their own internal investigation. Yeah. Which, Um, uh, what do you do? (laughs) I don't know, but I feel like we have to find out who it was. If it, if it's, if it's not Colangelo, you have to tell us who it was. Yeah. Because no no one's going to believe you otherwise. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah. I think that he'll come out and deny it. He'll he'll again admit to having the uh, the Philly one two three four five six seven account, um, and then he'll deny the rest of them again. Is what I would guess that he'll do, and then we may still still see him get fired. Um, just because at this point in time, like the players that they have are so important. Like we're not talking about like the Sacramento Kings or something like that where like you're not headed toward anything. You're talking about a team that wants to be competing for a title in the next two or three years. And, you know, Brian Colangelo in the grand scheme of things is not that important to this team. They can go find somebody else to run the team. And so, and I'm sure there are tons of people that would just jump at the chance, like really talented, well-established people that would jump at the chance to run this team. So, uh, if you're the Sixers, I just don't like what's even the upside of keeping Colangelo, you know, at this point right. would be my question. And th- this is such a huge story for the league, too, because remember that Adam Silver basically played a significant role in forcing Hinky out and installing Colangelo on the Sixers. Mm-hmm. 
and this is so embarrassing. I mean, this this has to be if if this all comes out and is true, and Colangelo gets fired, it has to be like one of Adam Silver's worst moments because the whole idea was that Hinky was embarrassing the league and embarrassing the franchise by going through this extended tank, and this is so much more embarrassing. Oh, um, yeah. Did you see the Woj tweet? He said. Maybe there's an IT person who can prove it wasn't Colangelo, but here's one of his biggest problems. Those tweets reflected not only private team biz, but also personal beefs, jealousies, frustrations that he shared inside and outside 76ers. Basically saying that, like, the the things that he's talking about are things that we, he's, like, mentioned in person to people. Like, it, it fits like a pattern. <laughs> this, this is just crazy. Uh, so Philadelphia released a statement when just now, really? Yes. Statement from the Philadelphia 76ers organization an online media outlet filed a story linking multiple social media accounts to the 76ers president of basketball operations, Brian Colangelo. The allegations are serious and we have commenced an independent investigation into the matter. It will report the results of that investigation as soon as it is concluded. Andrew, I think you know what that means. He's we got to turn this. We got to turn this into a live pod. <laughs> Let's start streaming. I'll stay home from work and we'll just do live updates throughout the day. All day. Oh man. This is so exciting. This is, oh, hey, the Magic just hired Steve Clifford, too. I saw that. What do you think of that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My thoughts, too. Like, okay. <laughs> like, you've, you've tried, like, a defensive-minded, established coach before. Right. That feels very Frank Vogley. Yeah, like, Frank Vogel is like, oh, like, how many... You're going to see tons of tweets today about what a great hire it was for them, for the Orlando Magic. But the people are saying the same thing about Frank Vogel, you know? I mean, they need, and with his health problems, like, I just feel like the Magic needs somebody that they can commit to, to play like the long game and, you know, develop these young guys and be there for a long time. And, you know, I I just, you know, question whether Steve Clifford can be that guy. Yeah. It just feels like we're two years away from hearing a report about Steve Clifford being fired from the Magic. Right. Yeah. I don't know why these teams don't take more risks when it comes to coaches. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. There, there had been more lately. Um, you know, Igor being hired for, um, the Phoenix the Suns. I like, yeah, that. like, yeah. Give, give them a try. Like give these guys a try that have been waiting that are their established assistants or that, you know, have the, the pedigree to come be a head coach because like you know what you're getting in these guys and maybe that's what they wanted maybe they knew that's what we wanted was what steve clifford brought but um i i don't know i'm just not i'm i like steve clifford i think he's a great coach i think that he'll get all he'll be able to get something out of this magic team but they're just not close to really competing which is just the general statement about the magic since Dwight Howard left. So, right. Uh, okay. So we're going to do a new little series the next couple of weeks, uh, off season studies. So we're going to take a look at a few thunder players and talk about if they could go watch film on one player, 
who should it be and why? And so we will start. Let's start with Alex Sabrinas. Who, who did you, who do you think Alex Sabrinas should study this off season? Uh, so I didn't realize they were studying them. I thought they were physically meeting them. That's very important oh. <laughs> for some of mine. <laughs> well, they, if they have the ability to, yes. They're becoming personal mentors. Okay, okay, got it. Um, so I was trying to look at a player who basically fits Abrinas' mold and has kind of mastered that role. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I was looking for is, you know, what are the what are the percentage of field goal attempts that come from three? And there were only five players this season who had a greater percentage of their field goal attempts from three than Abrinas. And they were Anthony Tolliver, Kyle Korver, Troy Daniels, Quincy Acey, and then my pick, which is Wayne Ellington, hmm. which might seem like a little random pick. But I think that Wayne Ellington really perfected this role um, this season with Miami at age 30. You know, he was previously a journeyman, seven teams in nine seasons. He was a guy who often couldn't stay on the court because of his defense. Um, but in the last couple of years, he's really mastered his offensive role while becoming a passable defender. So before last season, his highest number of three point attempts was 3.7 per game. The last two seasons in Miami, he shot 6.4 attempts and 7.5 attempts. Wow. He averaged the highest minutes per game of his career. He broke the franchise three point record. And there's the bonus that Wayne Ellington could get a in that heat workout culture and just get him ripped, get him shredded. <laughs> I, I wanted Brinus to put on a little weight. But I, I just I like the idea of Ellington as just this guy who has basically per- perfected the I only take threes role. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's it's certainly possible that Abrinas could expand his game more. Um, but with Russ leading the way, I think Abrinas is still going to be heavily relied on as a three-point shooter. And I think... W- Wayne Ellington, the percentage of his field goal attempts from three, it was definitely the highest, but it was over 80%. He was the only player over 80%. Um, and I just think he's a guy who's figured it out and could show Abrinas a lot. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I kind of took almost the exact opposite approach. Mm. I wanted to go with a guy that Abrinas is not really, he, he can't really ever be this player, but I think that he could learn a lot uh, from this guy. Uh, Bruce Bowen. Uh, Bruce Bowen did a lot with very little talent and it was because I thought he was a really smart player and that he worked really, really hard and he was a lockdown defender. Uh, I feel like he could just teach some defensive tricks to Abrinas um, that might help him because like Bruce Bowen wasn't like the most athletic guy um, and the most or the most talented guy, but he just was really smart and knew how to defend. Uh, and he was also a little bit dirty, which, you know, I wouldn't mind if Abrinas was like a little bit of a dirty defender. Cause I think that if you're, if you fit the profile of an Alex Abrinas, like you, you're not just going to be able to defend people just straight up and be like super effective. And so like he's, he has to you know, gain an advantage somehow. And I'm not suggesting that he goes out there and like tries to hurt people, but I think that he, um, could stand to learn to be just be a little more gritty on the defensive end. And like Bruce Bowen, like embodied that on the perimeter. Um, So I think that he could stand to learn some of those things. And those are the type of skills to me that will keep him on the court for whatever reason, the thunder just, they've had three point shooters in the past that have just been three point shooters and they just haven't given them much of a chance unless they can defend. And so 
if Abrinas can could learn from Bruce Bowen some of his tricks on the defensive end about uh, defending the perimeter, uh, that'd be great. And also just how to get open for a corner three because um, Bowen learned how to do that. And mostly they just left him open because he wasn't a great shooter. Um, right. But I, I just think that for Abrinas to, to really ever get like 25, 30 minutes a game regularly, he just has to be able to defend better. And they're actually the same size. Bowen is 6'7", 185, and Abrinas is 6'6", 190. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he wouldn't have to go and get ripped. Yeah, and I and I really, and I you've probably heard me say this before, I think Abrinas is a really smart player. Um, mm-hmm. And I think offensively that he is really okay with where he's at. I also think that they could give him a little bit more responsibility, that he could have some more touches and do something with the ball a little bit more. Uh, I doubt that that will happen, but I think that they could. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. But I, I just think that he, in order to become more than just a bit role player, like he just has to defend. Uh, All right, so moving on to Jeremy Grant. Yes, Jeremy Grant, who you got? Uh, so just a reminder, post All-Star, what Jeremy Grant did, he, of players who shot at least 80 free throw attempts post All-Star break, so he, he was 39th, and uh, among those 39 players, he was fifth in field goal percentage. Uh, Steven Adams was third among that group, and then interestingly, Montrezl Harrell, mm-hmm. he was second, and he also had more free throw attempts than Grant. He actually had a really nice end of the year as well. Um, But anyways, Grant was 38% from three, 73% from the line post-All-Star break. Now, the one area where he started to improve, but it didn't really show up yet, was his passing. Um, He didn't have a ton of assists. Among those 39 players I just mentioned, he was dead last with only 11 assists. And in comparison, like someone like Harrell had 37 um, so he didn't have a ton of assists, but he was fifth in passes per game post all-star break on the thunder. So my idea is to pair him with another big man, uh, another role player, a natural passer, a guy who can not only move the ball, but also makes plays for his teammates. And if he's a sh- solid three point shooter too, even better. So do you know who I chose? I do not. I chose prime Josh McRoberts. <laughs> hey, Josh McRoberts is pretty good. Yeah, uh, turns out his prime was exactly one season. <laughs> it was, <laughs> was going to uh, say what? When did that exist? Who did he play uh, for? It was 2013-14. Charlotte Hornets. Josh McRoberts. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He was. Uh, he went eight, five, and four that season. Um, now he's a better. He he has some natural passing ability that Grant just never will have. He went to and, eight, five, and four that season. <laughs> <laughs> and that that was peak. But that was really good. And, uh, you know, Charlotte actually ran their offense through McRoberts a lot that season, which would never happen with Grant. But I just think the idea of pairing him with another big man who's a role player, because I was thinking like, oh, maybe pairing him with Jokic or something. But that's that's too different. McRoberts is kind of in that similar role player mode. Yeah. Um, And so just teaching Grant more about the playmaking aspect, because it does seem like it's not like he's a black hole, like you give the ball to him and he never passes it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that not those passes rarely lead to an assist. So just trying to improve his playmaking ability, because as we know, the Thunder 
have not had a, a lot of playmakers on the floor throughout their entire history. Right. And he had developed uh, a little pass off the short roll, which I right. thought was yeah. impressive because it just came out of nowhere. Uh, so for me, Jeremy Grant, I stumbled upon doing some research. I stumbled upon this article from Bleacher Report from 2011, and it's the best shooting big men in NBA history. Uh, it's a top 10 list, and I just have to read you the top 10 because it's wonderful. Uh, Kevin Garnett's number 10, Brad Miller, number nine, Charlie Villanueva, number eight, <laughs> Arvita Sabonis, number seven. You're like, okay. Bill Lambeer, six. Get ready for this one. Number five, Andrea Bargnani is <laughs> what? Fifth, Mivet Okor is fourth. You're like, okay, like he could shoot it from, from the corner. Troy Murphy, number three. Of all time. Ch- Channing Fry, number two, and Dirk, number one, which makes sense. But I just thought the uh, the Troy Murphy, uh, the Andrea Bargnani um, sprinkled in there with Charlie Villanueva was just so wonderful. Um, so they basically had the idea for Dirk as number one and hadn't thought past that. Yeah. And then they're just like, ah, <laughs> Troy Murphy was pretty good. <laughs> Um, but one of my guys is on this list and it's Channing Fry. Uh, Channing Fry is basically a three point specialist from the center position. He's a backup center and he just shot and made threes. He was not great at really anything else. But I think if Jeremy Grant is going to take his game to the next level, he just has to be able to take and make threes. Um, he established that he can get to the free throw line, like you said, which is great to be able to manufacture points like that. Um, But if he's going to become more than just a like 15, 20 minute a night guy, which I don't know if he can be, uh, he he needs to become a better shooter and Channing Fry is one of the best um, big men to do that. So I think that he could just benefit from being around him and um, him showing him some, some tricks and some ways to get open and, you know, neither of them have like a particularly quick release. And so, um, how to make that work on a team. So I, uh, I think Channing Fry would, he could benefit from being around him and, and learning what it's like to be a, a stretch five as a backup center. Cause I think that's like his ultimate destiny. Some people peg him to be like the starting power forward once Mello leaves. Uh, I don't really see that unless he can shoot it like Channing Fry. Then you're talking like, yeah, of course. You can start next to Steven Adams, but I think that you need to be able to shoot it uh, in order to start next to Steven Adams to be effective. And that's why Patterson makes a ton of sense still. Um, and then Grant makes sense as a backup center still because he had a lot of success just taking guys off the dribble um, and having that a quicker first step than any of the centers in the NBA, basically. Um, so I just think that if he could develop that three point shot, then you're talking about, you know, one of the most effective, you know, versatile bigs really in the NBA. Uh, especially it would be nice if he could develop that three point shot after the Thunder signed him to a new contract. Uh, Cause if, I mean, if this guy shot 37% on high attempts and was able to protect the rim and drive to the basket and finish, um, you know, crazy wild layups, I mean, someone would have to pay him 12 million. Cause you, you feel like you could start that guy at your power forward spot. Um, but he's not that. And if he could learn to be that, I mean, he would obviously be a massive, massive weapon for the Thunder moving forward. Yeah, I like that. 
Uh, next, Andre Robertson. Who do you got over Andre Robertson? Um, all right. Well, <laughs> um, stay with me on this one. <laughs> uh, for Andre Robertson, I'm going with Rick Barry. Okay. Okay. So all right. I'm Rick with you. Rick Barry, of course, is the former NBA player who shot his free throws underhanded. Mm-hmm. He was a career 90% free throw shooter in the NBA over eight seasons. So I want to make the case for why free throw shooting is the most important flaw in Robertson's game. One, it's severity. As a reminder, this season, Robertson was dead last in free throw percentage in the league. He was 13 percentage points behind the second worst Costa Cufos. Oh. Last season, he was second worst ahead of only Andre Drummond. Two, I think that his free throw shooting has negatively affected the continued development of the best part of his offensive game, which is getting to the rim and cutting. Um, three, I think it really messes with his head and his overall confidence. I went back and rewatched the highlights from game four against the Rockets in last year's playoffs mm-hmm. where Robertson got hacked and he shot two of 12 from the line, which I had forgotten it was that much. It, it was absolutely brutal. It was, it's such a magnified moment. He's all alone. It's embarrassing. It feels cruel. And I think that really has to mess with you. And I think it will absolutely haunt OKC if they get into another playoff series with Houston or another team who's willing to hack. So why not just try underhand free throws? People people say it's embarrassing, but you know what's embarrassing, Andrew? Shooting 32% from the line over an entire season, yeah. going two for 12 in a playoff game. It literally doesn't get any worse than that in the NBA in recent memory. There's been four players in NBA history. Um, this is a trivia question okay, for you. Four players in NBA history who have had a playoff game shooting worse than 20% on at least 10 free throws. Can you name them? So you had to at least get to the line 10 times, and then you shot 20%. <laughs> I have no idea. If you think about it, you would get them. Ben Wallace? Uh, no, that was a very good guess, though. <laughs> Shaq? Yes, Shaq two times. Okay. Uh, you might get one of the other ones. Um, Wilt Chamberlain? Correct, six times. Okay. <laughs> and uh, then the other random one which was in the 2014 finals was Andre Iguodala. Oh, weird. Yeah, I know. And then the fourth one is Andre Robertson. Now, obviously Andre does not have the offensive game that those guys do. Like he can't really make them pay for making (laughs) (laughs) he gets hacked. He has to get better at free throws. He has to. Yeah. It's and it will become an issue for this team. If PG comes back and they're in the playoffs again next season, so why not just shoot underhanded? And it's gonna it would be so good for his brand. Like he would become a folk hero. All these blogs would be writing about how smart Robertson is. I, I really think like it'd be a good career move. Like people would talk about Robertson more. Here's the downside. What if he shoots him underhanded? What if he shoots him underhanded and he misses him at the same rate? Okay, well, <laughs> if that happens, that does throw a bit of a wrench into my plan. <laughs> Then uh, not only are you shooting them <laughs> granny style, you're missing still. Listen, I'm, that's why I'm bringing in the best of the best. Rick Barry was the best underhanded free throw shooter. Okay, true. He's getting trained by the best. It's he's true. not going to let him go out there and miss some granny shots. Okay, He won't, <laughs> he won't unleash it until he's perfected it. Oh, man. Uh, that's a good one. I've got – so I've got somebody – he's not – I mean, they're similar like body types, but they definitely don't play the same. Um, but 
and they probably can't couldn't because this guy's way more skilled than what Robertson is. But I picked Sean Marion, and some of it does have to do with the shooting because Sean Marion had one of the grossest forms in NBA history. Um, right. He shot with like Tyrannosaurus Rex arms from three from the free throw line for this little floater. Uh, it looked terrible. Um, but he still had just immense confidence in it. And to me, that's where Robertson is lacking is in confidence. Like you can see his confidence wavering while he's on the court through the television screen. And that's a problem. If he could learn to be as confident as Sean Marion was, I think that he would be able to shoot it better. And so if he could hang around Sean Marion and just, just shoot around with Sean Marion for an hour and just like realize like, Oh, I look at this guy and no one's making fun of him. He's I won a championship. He was an all-star five to or four times, you know, he's a really good player and look at him. He looks like an idiot out here shooting with me. Like my form looks better than his. <laughs> and so why do I, why do I have to be self-conscious about like, I just need to get out there, just play confidently and be ready to shoot it. And you're right. The free throws are a huge concern moving forward. Um, you're right. We didn't get we didn't get a chance to see him get hacked a whole lot this past season. Um, but you're you get to the playoffs. You're right. Like that strategy will be implemented, and he will be torn down mentally because of it. And so he needs to be able to shoot it with confidence. And I think that that's just been a struggle for him overall. But I also feel like he could learn just a lot from Sean Marion in a lot of ways. You know, the way that Sean Marion played defensively. I think that he could. Robertson could even get better than what he is now on the defensive end. I'm not saying Marion was necessarily better than Robertson, but I just feel like they played a little bit differently. Um, the way that Marion was able to distribute the ball and not that he did it a ton, uh, but I think that he could learn from that um, and the way that Marion was able to cut off the ball as well. So I just feel like that's that would be a good guy for him to to look up to and to going to model his game after especially when it comes to confidence and shooting um with such an ugly shot yeah last one russell westbrook who you got (laughs) all right so i am not convinced that russ is going to significantly change any part of his game i don't think he's going to become a significantly better three-point shooter i don't think he's going to become a significantly better defender i don't think he'll ever stop chasing triple doubles so I'm going a little bit uh, off the beaten path with these two picks. I actually have two ideas, two mentors for him. Okay. First is LeBron. Okay. LeBron's going to teach Russ how he can rest during plays and still get praised for it. (laughs) The thing is, Russ is already resting on defense. He's halfway there. You know, he's he's got half of the formula down. He's just got to figure out how to get praised for it like LeBron. So that's my first one. (laughs) Uh, Second one is Dirk. Okay. Dirk is a media darling. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves Dirk. He's funny. He's engaging. He's self-deprecating. Russ is none of those things. And while I don't think Russ's game is going to change significantly, I do think there is a potential for Russ changing how he interacts with the media. And as a result, he could change his perception around the league because there's such a benefit to playing the game with the media. Like, look at KD. If you go on Reddit, it is 100% slander against KD 
whenever he is brought up from NBA fans. Mm-hmm. But then look at how all the major NBA writers talk about KD. Like the criticisms about his move to Golden State are usually scoffed at. Like they're right. just kind of ignored. Um, even with the like the burner account thing, the lame tattoos, no one like in the like national media really gives those things any like the time of day. And I think it's because KD is generally good with the media. Yeah. So I know it doesn't fit with the persona that Russ has created for himself, but I think that persona is getting old and it's unfairly affecting how he's perceived in the league. So you bring in Dirk, he, he'll, he'll, he'll teach Russ some jokes, you know, some jokes to say, <laughs> and he'll, he'll give him the secrets of media relations. I think that's a good, that'd be a good play for him. What if he just, it would be so weird though, if he came back and was just like, Hey guys, Hey <laughs> Yes, I got. I want to answer some questions. I want to talk to you guys. Everybody would just be like, "What is he going to do? Like, what is he <laughs> going to do to us?" <laughs> uh, well, but we've, we've seen Russ be like fun and lighthearted, mm-hmm. you know, on his Instagram and everything. So obviously, there's like a there's a fun personality in there, and I get the idea of like, well, why why would you want to give that to the media? And but it's all just part of playing the game, and I think it would really help. Just his, I think it could help his legacy and it could just help how people talk about him in the league. Oh, without a doubt. It would get people off of his back. Yeah. Some of the things that I've heard behind the scenes about Russell from national media people um, have not been, (laughs) have not been the nicest things. And you can tell that they, not only do they not like him, but like the bias is really there just because like, it's just human nature. If someone is a big jerk to you, it's like human nature to like find ways to nitpick them. Right. And so, yeah, I've, I've heard some things I won't t- say from who or anything, but it was, uh, it was not good. Uh, okay. So my guy, Sonic's legend, Gary Payton, I feel like mm. Russ, I'm almost the opposite of you again. I think he could lean in a little bit more to just being a big jerk. And, <laughs> Just like, just go completely all in and be like Gary Payton on the court and bark at people more and become, and really what he needs to become, if he's going to take his game to the next level, I think you're right. He's not going to become a a great three-point shooter. His his offensive game, he may have reached his ceiling, but if he's going to have Paul George on this team, like he needs to first, he needs to take a lesser role in the offensive end. Second, he needs to just play with some intensity on the defensive end with consistency. Because if he did, this team would be a monster. And they really could make some kind of run just as being one of the best defensive teams in the league. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but if you go into next season and he's still a weak point in the defense and you have basically everybody else that's really good, like you're almost guaranteed to have a top three level defense in the NBA. But why settle for that? Like you could have the number one defense in the NBA if Russell Westbrook could learn to be, you know, the defender that we all know is in there and that we've seen, like we saw it. He doesn't have to defend like he did against James Harden in that last game against Houston. Like he doesn't have to defend like that every single night. But if he defends like 70%, like that every night. I don't think it's going to wear him out. I don't think that um, it's going to like hurt his career. Like it's going to help the team and help his career. Like, I just don't understand 
the taking off of plays on the defensive end and for him to he spends so much time gambling like you could you can still gamble but like do it on 30 percent of possessions you know don't do it on like 60 percent of possessions like let's let's tone that down let's become a just a good defender a pesky defender a guy that like gets up in guys shorts and just defends and that's obviously what gary payton did and that's why his nickname was the glove and i just feel like Russell could be that guy like he's got that player in him and we've seen it um it was the reason why he was drafted so high was because of his defensive ability but um he just doesn't take much pride in defending which is just interesting he'll just do it when he feels like it's necessary but if he did it every night I mean if you had if your starting lineup is like this is the obviously the ideal starting lineup for the Thunder next season is Russell Robertson, Paul George, Patrick Patterson and Steven Adams. Like that should be the number one defense in the NBA, but Russell's holding it back. And if he could right. defend, then you're talking about you know easily the number one defense and then offensively like it that team fits well as well so like you could be one of the best teams in the nba but i think that russell um he would have to take a step back in other areas in order to do it and if you do have paul george like you have that luxury like you really do so that's that's where i would hope that russell could improve over the offseason i don't expect to see that i expect him to be working more on his offensive game i know sam Presti said he is working on his three-point shot um and so and his and specifically his spot up three-point shot which i think would be important which means that he would have to be willing to move off ball more and he'd have to be willing to set screens and things like that things that he hasn't really done in his career uh, i think those things would obviously help improve his game as well um so, but really you're, you're all, it's funny because you, there are these massive flaws within Russell Westbrook's game, but it's also in a way nitpicking because like the dude is still incredible. He's still yeah. so good. So we just solved like a uh, half of the, half a third of the roster. That's right. Um, okay. So we'll do more of those next week. Let's, uh, let's now go to this week in Thunder history. All right. So this week. On this week, Thunder History, we go back to the summer of 2012, May 30th to be exact. The night before, the Thunder had just lost to go down 0-2 to the San Antonio Spurs in the Western Conference Finals. Over the next week, the Thunder would win four games in a row to win the Conference Finals to make their first appearance in the NBA Finals against the Miami Heat. While this was certainly one of the most memorable moments in Thunder history, it was almost overshadowed by a scandal that nearly brought the Thunder organization to its knees. <laughs> this, this scandal involved the Thunder's owner, Clay Bennett, Mick Cornette, a Thunder coach, the Thunder girls, an aspiring music producer, and the Supreme Court of the United States. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> okay. So... Our story begins in 2007 when a man named Charles Cyrus recorded a song about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Soon thereafter, Charles copyrighted his song, which included phrases such as Thunder Up, Go Thunder, and Let's Go Thunder. (laughs) Cyrus then sent his song in 2008 to the Oklahoma City Mayor's Office 
an unnamed Oklahoma City coach and the team's head cheerleader as part of a fan engagement activity. So after OKC's inaugural season began, Cyrus claimed that the Thunder had violated his copyright because the chants and slogans on their promotional materials were stolen directly from his song's lyrics. Wow. (laughs) Now, I actually looked up the order and judgment from the U.S. 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. Oh, wow. And it says here, more specifically, Cyrus claimed that the phrases were chanted during games by the team's cheerleader, its mascot, and apparently the crowd. Can you believe (laughs) that, Andrew? Regular fans, supposed salt of the earth, sitting in their seats, knowingly stealing the genius of a poor musician with every chant of go thunder or alternatively, let's go thunder. (laughs) So for compensatory damages, Cyrus asked for 20 to 30 percent of net gross. What? Seems fair. Seems fair. Uh, Now, the U.S. 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, they declared that the phrases at issue here do not contain sufficient creativity. They are, in other words, ordinary. But, Andrew, the story did not end there because Cyrus took his suit all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, my gosh. And on May 30th, 2012, the U.S. Supreme Court rejected Cyrus's claims. The thunder had barely escaped the wrath of Charles Cyrus, (laughs) whose extreme demands could have brought down the entire franchise. Now... So that's the end of Charles' story. But I actually, there's a few things about this story that I still find strange. One, and this is straight from the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. They say the song was written in 2007. That's way before the Thunder were in OKC. That's before they had decided on that name. Yeah, how could he have written that song? Right, that's strange. So he, this guy just randomly writes a song about a non-existent NBA team and just happens to nail the name of the team right. But he did copyright it, which is what I'm so confused by. And then the News OK story leaves out the fact that Charles's song contained the phrase Thunder Up, which is obviously the most unique of all the phrases. Yeah. Which, you know, just another example of the pro-Thunder bias from the OKC media. (laughs) (laughs) Have you listened to the song? No, I can't find it. I, okay. Trust me. Trust me. I, I spent a lot of time trying to find it. Sure did. I was on a lot of Facebook pages for numerous Charles Cyruses. <laughs> could not find him. Um, but I feel like Charles, they could have at least given him like a free T-shirt if he really came up with Thunder Up. Yeah. Yeah. They could have, they could have shot, shot the T-shirt cannon directly at Charles Cyrus. <laughs> but it seems like his mistake ultimately was that he copyrighted his song but he did not copyright any of the phrases. phrases, Obviously he would have never been able to copyright go thunder or let's go thunder. But I wonder if he could have copyrighted thunder up if he really had come up with that. Yeah. Um, and, and that would have been a lot more interesting, but yeah, I had never heard this story before it was written about once. And I just thought it was funny that it was during probably like the biggest moment in thunder history that all this was going on. Yeah. That's really funny. I mean, if I was Charles and I did come up with this song and I really believed I came up with it and everything, wouldn't you just like ask for a little bit less? Like <laughs> at that point, I would have been like, hey, could I just get like uh, tickets to a game or yeah. like or like two percent? Two percent would also be a massive amount. Oh, yeah. Thirty percent is 
It's twenty to thirty. <laughs> I mean, that is crazy. It would have destroyed the team. Destroyed the team, taking them off the map. They couldn't have afforded it. The, yeah, they, shelling they, out all that money. <laughs> that would be quite a story. They're like, in, in news, this man takes thirty percent of what the Thunder make, <laughs> and they can't do anything about it. Yeah, can you imagine? That would just uh, be insane. But yeah, made it all this, all the way to the Supreme Court. Obviously, they didn't even listen to it or whatever. But still, you can say he went all the way to the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Alex, anything else before before we go? I think that was it. Any other breaking news on Twitter? Not that I've seen. Not okay. that I've seen. But uh, okay. we'll uh, we'll keep you guys updated. I'm sure that we'll spend a significant amount of the Friday podcast talking about Brian Colangelo as well. So. You're uh, looking for a podcast about that. Just wait till Friday. Uh, hope you guys have a great Wednesday. We'll talk to you guys again Friday. Be sure to ask questions on Twitter. We'll have those. I'll send out a tweet tomorrow um, asking for those. So be sure to ask questions. We'll answer those on Friday. Uh, we also have these Paul George chicken fried rice shirts. We continue to get people to order these. And it's because we're only printing a limited quantity and we're only allowing orders through this week. So if you want one, you have to get it now. And you have to go to our Twitter bio, click the Big Cartel link. It will take you to the site where you can order and pre-order the shirt. Uh, if you're willing to pay, if you're international, we've had a few people inquire if you are international and you're willing to pay, we will ship it to you. Uh, it will not be cheap, but we will make that happen. So if you want one of these really cool limited edition chicken fried rice or Paul George chicken fried rice shirts, you have to order now. So please go do that today. Uh, Leave us a five-star iTunes review if you've got some time. We'll talk to you guys again on Friday.